The following program is intended for mature audiences. Welcome to Rudy's Revelation. Finding revelation in the news and meaning in media. It's October 11th, 2020. 22 days to the U.S. presidential election. Today I'll be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation, where RNC Chair Rona McDaniel accused the commission on presidential debates of canceling the second presidential debate to help Biden. She literally eviscerates Face the Nation host, Maggie Brennan. We'll also be checking in on Sunday morning propaganda at our former favorite feel-good feature news program, CBS Sunday Morning, where every segment this week was a blistering psyop, especially when we hear from correspondent Rami Nansencio who glows over China, the CCP, and the nation of 1.4 billion that has apparently returned to normalcy after COVID. Then I'll be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterizes the fact to mislead the public. And of course, I'll be going over the weekend headlines all the next 30 minutes. First, I'll be taking you back to school, giving you some historical context to frame this week's news narratives. The word of the day is postmodern. A theory that involves a radical reappraisal of modern assumptions about culture, identity, history, or language. And I'm getting into postmodernism and the father of postmodernism, Antonio Gramsci. Now, Antonio Gramsci was an Italian Marxist philosopher, journalist, linguist, writer, and politician. He wrote on philosophy, political theory, sociology, history, and linguistics. He was a founding member of the one-time leader of the Communist Party of Italy and was imprisoned by Mussolini. Now, Antonio Gramsci was the godfather of cultural Marxism. And in particular, he's the godfather of critical theory and postmodernism. Gramsci viewed churches, charities, and the media and schools as organizations that needed to be invaded by socialist thinkers. So Antonio Gramsci spent most of his time in prison and wrote the prison notebooks, which is kind of like the communist mind Kampf. So Antonio Gramsci, according to Columbia was a widely celebrated and the most original political thinker in Western Marxism and an all-around outstanding intellectual figure. Arrested and imprisoned by the Italian fascist regime in 1926, Gramsci died before fully regaining his freedom. Nevertheless, in his prison notebooks, he recorded thousands of brilliant reflections, an extraordinary range of subjects establishing an enduring intellectual legacy, according to Columbia where, uh, by the way, most of the founders of the Frankfurt School ended up coming to teach 
after they fled Germany. Now, from the American Spectator, they say cultural Marxism and its conspirators, and they outline uh, the conspirators. Last week, according to Paul Kenger, I did one of my routine exercises in my Marxism course at Grove City College. Reads all size, talks about Communist Party USA, the Jacobin, which people should investigate. It's as a periodical for um, American communists. And from the New, Amer- New American, Gramsci's grand plan, born in obscurity in Sardinia, Gramsci would not have been considered a prime candidate to impact significantly in the 20th century. Gramsci studied philosophy and history at the University of Turin, soon became a dedicated Marxist, joining the Italian Socialist Party. Immediately after First World War, he established his own radical newspaper, The New Order, and shortly afterwards helped in founding the Italianist Communist Party. And according to the Washington Times, and this is the most recent article, this is from 2019, The Cultural Marxist Attack on Western Society. Have you ever heard of Antonio Gramsci? How about Herbert Marcuse or the Frankfurt School? The names are probably meaningless but all to all but a small minority of scholar, academics, and political theorists throughout the world. Yet Americans, indeed all of those who treasure the religion, culture, and history of the Western civilization should become acquainted with these names if they are to understand the forces that are currently tearing society apart. This is a good article from the uh, Washington Times, if you so want to check it out. Marxism appeared on the scene in Europe in in the mid-19th century. Karl Marx and Frederick Engels posited a thesis that capital society was doomed to demise as a proletariat, the working class rose up to overthrow their oppressors, the bourgeoisie, the middle class of property owners. And that's what we're dealing with today is critical theory, specifically critical race theory now, which it has morphed into. All these originated with Antonio Gramsci, uh, where he called to take over the institutions because of what he called cultural hegemony. Cultural hegemony refers to the domination or rule maintained through ideological cultural means. It is usually achieved through the cultural, uh, through social institutions, which allow those in power to strongly influence the values, norms, ideas, expectations, worldview, and behavior of the rest of society. So this is where cultural Marxism of the cultural war started with Antonio Gramsci and his uh, teachings moved to the Frankfurt School where Herbert Marcuse Uh, Max Horkheimer, Eric Fromm, and the rest of the Frankfurt School uh, perfected critical theory. And then when they fled Europe, they took it to Columbia University here in the United States. And now it's being employed against the United States uh, in a form of ideological subversion. Let's get into the news. Kamala Harris dodges addressing whether China is our ally or adversary. That wasn't exactly the question that was posed to her. Now, the question was exactly for moderator Susan Page, described the United States' fundamental relationship with China, asking Harris whether China is our competitor, adversary, or enemy. Harris dodged addressing this question and instead focused on President Trump's actions. Now, we're going to go right to 
the uh, by the way, in passing uh, from the Globe and Mail, and this was widely reported, China censors Pence's comments on China during the vice presidential debate. How would you describe our our fundamental relationship with China? Competitors, adversaries, enemies? You have two minutes. Thank you, Susan. So in reality, what it is, is China is our ideological enemy. They are our military adversary. And they are economic competitors. That's the true answer to the question. China is to blame for the coronavirus. Yeah, this is an article I, I missed last week. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Matt Getz introduced bipartisan resolution calling for charges against Edward Snowden to be dropped. This is from last week. Uh, introduced House Resolution 1162, a resolution calling for the federal government to drop all charges against Edward Snowden, a whistleblower who exposed illegal and unconstitutional acts of mass surveillance of Americans by the United States government. From CNN Business... The U.S. debt is now projected to be larger than the U.S. economy. This is a big story from AP that happened this week. 13 charged in plots against Michigan governor. Agents foiled a stunning plot to kidnap the Democratic gov- uh, governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Authorities said Thursday in announcing charges in an alleged scheme that involves months of planning and even rehearsals to snatch her from a vacation home. Six men were charged in federal court with conspiring to kidnap the governor before the November 3rd election in reaction to what they viewed as her uncontrolled power, according to a federal complaint. Separately, seven others linked to the paramilitary group called the Wolverine Watchmen, oh brother, were charged in a state court for allegedly seeking to storm the Michigan Capitol and seek civil war. Um... From my point of view, this is another FBI setup. And, you know, the timing is very, very, very suspect. This is from the New York Post. Nancy Pelosi's latest cuckoo nonsense, an editorial by the editorial board. Again, going to be talking about the 25th Amendment where she is setting up protocol to be able to remove presidents. Tearing into the New York Times. Are astronauts, this is from the living section, are astronaut-style face shields the future of PPE? They may look high-tech, but so far there's no evidence that these devices are more effective than face masks. If you sneeze, you're in big trouble. Bill Johnson said of wearing the air, an acrylic visor that evokes 1960s Soviet cosmonaut. I mean, this is just re- taking it to the next level. This is a, a, a article by Adam Papasu. The air, which features built-in HEPA filters, four hours of power on a lithium ballot, battery and removable washable fabric is one of the new space-age-style wearables being marketed in the evolution of mass culture the point is we should be getting away from this or at least by spring we should be getting away from masks entirely but this is taking it to the next level 
Former Philadelphia officer charged with murder in the 2017 shooting, Eric Rook Jr.'s killing of Dennis Plowden, an unarmed black man, after a high-speed chase was unjustified, a grand jury found. This is a story by Allison Waller and Brian Peach. Former Philadelphia police officer has been charged with first-degree murder in connection with the fatal shooting of an unarmed black man after a high-speed chase in December 2017 that ended in a crash. Well, if you piss off police, they might act erratically. But the point is, is this was an unjust killing, and the guy was charged with murder. Taking a page from authoritarians, Trump turns power of state against political rivals. I'm not going to read the subhead here. This is by David Sanger, of course. Trump ordered his Secretary of State to declassify thousands of Hillary Clinton's emails, along with his insistence that his Attorney General issue indictments against Barack Obama and Joseph Biden takes his presidency into new territory, until now occupied by leaders with names like Putin, Z, and Ergodon. Uh, basically, what this, I mean, this is again the way they characterize this whole thing. Trump, um, these these emails that um, Hillary Clinton destroyed, uh, there are copies at the State Department, and Mike Pompeo is um, going to release them as they are property of the United States government, which this is a republic, and through transparencies, we should know what's in those emails. And the reason that Hillary Clinton deleted them is that they're very damning, and we should see them, especially since... um, the Department of Justice is not going to release the findings in their investigation into uh, Russiagate and the fact that the United States government was illegally spying on an opposition campaign, and that would be Trump's campaign. Um, that's unconscionable, and, and that it must be something done about that. North Korea unveils what appears to be a new ICBM during military parade. The weapon appeared to be the bigger than the North's previous long-range missile that indicated that it might be able to fly farther with more powerful nuclear warhead, but is untested. I mean, okay, why are we even reporting that they have a big missile? Cho Sang-Yung. And people have to understand, okay, is North Korea is a client state of China. So any belligerent activity, although China's really engaging in a lot of belligerent activity, is that anything really saber-rattling is going to come from their client state of North Korea. They're not, they're one and the same. North Korea is a more severe experiment of Maoism. And it should be seen as that. So it is like China on steroids is what um, it's Maoism on steroids is what they have in North Korea. And they have a, a have it to a great degree in China itself. Um, so this is saber rattling by the Chinese. North Korea displayed what appeared to be its largest ever intercontinental ballistic missile during a nighttime military parade in Pyongyang on Saturday, but it was not immediately clear if the missile would work. Or if it was for show. I mean, why are you in, you know, why is there an article on it? 
QAnon is thriving in Germany. The extreme right is delighted. Of course, QAnon is extreme right. I mean, first of all, QAnon, if it, if it was authentic in the beginning, is now obviously been subverted and infiltrated. And who knows what the message is coming that more than more than likely are coming from intelligence agencies. As the U.S. conspiracy theory goes global, it found fertile ground in the putsch fantasies and anti-Semitic tropes along popular on long popular in Germany's far right fringe counterterrorism officials worry. Um, there's no anti-Semitic tropes. If you read any of the QAnon drops, there's nothing anti-Semitic in there. And this is an article by Katrin Benhold. And the lead states here, uh, early in the pandemic, as thousands of American troops began NATO maneuvers in Germany, Attila Hind Hildman did a quick YouTube search to see what it was all about. He quickly came across videos posted by German followers of QAnon. In their telling, this was no NATO exercise. It was a covert operation by President Trump to liberate Germany from Chancellor Angela Merkel's government, something they applauded. Well, Angela Merkel is a socialist, so anybody that's right of socialism uh, is not going to appreciate uh, her at all. We're going to move into the Sunday Review, uh, where the lead uh, op-ed is, what does it mean to love a country? And what they do in this op-ed, this opinion piece here, it is often said that America is an idea, it is also a family, Don't Give it Up on It Now by Marion Robinson. What does it mean to love a country? And basically they said you shouldn't have nationalism or patriotism to still love the country. Uh, and you have to have a certain amount of that to love the country because you have to protect the country and this country is a constitutional republic, so its idea is based in the Constitution. So if you're going away from the Constitution, you don't really love this country. You just want to change it into something that you might like. And always in the Sunday Review, they're all the Trump bashing. I'm not rich. I just watch a lot of TV. And we're going to dive into uh, the 1619 Chronicles where they do another because they've been hit a lot for their 1619 project. And so this is another defense of the project. And then, of course, uh, from the op-ed board, undoing Trump's immigration policies. And these are basically the plans for the Democrats uh, if they were to take office. Trump's overhaul of immigration is worse than you think. The administration has attacked every aspect of the immigration system, and it won't be easy to undo. The editorial board is a group of opinion journalists. What is an opinion journalist whose views are informed by expertise, research, debate, and certain long-standing values? It is separate from the newsroom. Yeah, because they're opinion pieces. There's no, journalism has nothing to do with it. This gratuitous swipe at a group of old veterans is a measure of how meticulously the Trump administration has pursued the destruction of, of immigration in America. Through administrative order, strict enforcement, and mere threat, the White House has attacked virtually every aspect of immigration, legal and illegal. Uh, we, had an we had a legal immigration problem. We still do in this country. And he's trying to address it. 
And there are many that support that. Um, you can't have a welfare state with illegal immigration because there's no way to pay for it all. And then, of course, the 1619 Chronicles. Journalism does better when it writes the first rough draft of history, but not the last word on it by Brett Stevens. And his lead here is, if there's one word admirers and critics alike can agree upon when it comes to the New York Times award-winning 1619 Project, it's ambition. Ambition to reframe America's conversation about race. Ambition to reframe our understanding of history. Ambition to move from the news pages to the classrooms. Ambition to move from scholarly debate to national consciousness. Um, well, we'll just pick apart the lead because I'm not going to go any further into this. But um, ambition to reframe our understanding of history. History is what it is. Sometimes it's cruel. Sometimes people that lived hundreds of years ago are not inclined to be intellectually modern. So people's frame of mind 200 years ago is not the frame of mind you have today. So it's not fair to judge people in history with your framing today. Ambition to reframe our understanding of history, of course, we look at things differently than, and than people did, but that's why you can't blame people that lived hundreds of years ago because they were going on what they knew. And they didn't have the internet and they weren't so um, intellectually progressive. So people's view of slavery, you have to understand at the beginning of this country, Private property was a new thing for most individuals. And that the king couldn't come and seize your private property. So I'm just saying people had a different frame of mind back then. And you should judge history kindly. Because they didn't have the understanding that you have today. But this whole 1619, uh, the United States was not built on the, black, uh, on the backs of slaves. There were, there were plenty of people. The slaves mostly worked agriculturally. Um, they weren't building stuff. They were working in the fields for the mercantile industry, mostly for uh, cotton, but also for other food goods. Um, but, you know, people, and people just don't understand is that it's, it, it's, it isn't the way they portray it. And here he goes into the next article. Uh, in some ways, the ambition succeeded. The 1619 Project introduced a date previously obscured to most Americans that ought always have been a, uh, thought of seminal, and probably now it will. It offered fresh reminders of the extent in which black freedom was a victory gained by courageous black Americans and not just a gift obtained by benevolent whites. It, the victory was not gained by courageous black Americans. Uh, many black Americans uh, freed themselves uh, and bought their freedom. Um, but, but let's be real. I mean, it's the same, for the same reason Obama, uh, Barack Obama got elected, is that whites didn't believe in slavery anymore. But the reason they wanted to overturn slavery was because there was a new... Uh, slavery coming and that was economic slavery and chattel slavery couldn't coexist with the new form of slavery. So we're going to get into the talking heads and let's hear from um, Rona McDaniel. 
RNC chair who eviscerates uh, Maggie Brennan. Well, uh, good luck to you with that. Do you think these days off the campaign trail and now a canceled debate for this week have put the president behind? You know, we've been looking at our numbers internally as well. We are not seeing that. Uh, we've seen the president actually increase in his numbers. I think voters are very frustrated by the corrupt debate commission that they would cancel a second debate. I think it feeds into the belief that this 47 years that Joe Biden has had, is in, has had in D.C. is again protecting him from facing the voters. And uh, Americans are frustrated that this election commission interfered with our ability to see these two candidates debate. Decision was made in part due to health concerns because of lack of disclosure. Well, they're not nonpartisan Republicans. Those Republicans have been very critical of this president. It, they did not follow the science. It was done unilaterally without talking to the candidates. And they interfered in the election. It is corrupt. It is what D.C. is. They are in the pocket of Joe Biden, and they prevented the American public from seeing these candidates debate and it's wrong for the country. So it sounds like you do think that could be a negative for the president. In Michigan, the state you know well, he's the even with Biden on perception of who'd be better on the economy. Why isn't that working? I, I, I think the debate situation is a negative for Biden. I think it plays into this DC politician who's been there for 47 years who isn't getting tough questions from the media. He's refusing to answer about whether he's going to pack the Supreme Court, upending 150 years of, of our judicial standards. And he's saying, I'll tell you after the election, this is egregious that this candidate is getting away with this. What about and the this economy? this is what happens when you're wired in D.C. The president, of course, is doing better on the economy. The PPP loans is what saved this economy. They did more loans in 14 months or 14 days than had been done in 14 months. He saved businesses. This president had our economy in the best shape before this pandemic. He's already leading us out of it. Well, it sounds American like Republicans aren't going that. to pass the, the bill that the president now says he wants to No, to Nancy do. Pelosi wants to do a a power grab and fund cities that were already in financial distress uh, in the name of the pandemic. And I think the American people well, don't Senate want Republicans to see that Republicans are done. objecting to the size of it, too. But I, I want to ask you about... Joe Biden is running on the biggest power grab in history, and you guys want to talk about fundraising protocols? I want to ask what the he's president's doing in the next stack, few days, because you are 23 days from an election. He's stack the Supreme Court, get rid of the filibuster, and he's being given a free pass. This should be all the media's focus on. I understand you don't like Donald Trump. I understand we don't Actually, like Republicans. He, you said the president... We have a Democrat running on the biggest power grab, the absolute biggest power grab in the history of our country and reshaping the United States of America. Okay. And not so, answering the question. Okay. That's all we should be talking about. Okay. So That's I, all I we think, should be talking about. I think you answered the question of yes and resuming in-person fundraisers no, with we, the president. Who cares if we have fundraisers? Because it's the president. I want to know what he's doing. And, but he's going to up and checks and balances in the third branch of government. Well, he's going to hold not rallies in the next few days. Nonstop. No, this is Joe Biden who's going to upend checks and balances, get rid of the checks and balances that are fundamental to our Constitution, and won't answer if he's going to stack the Supreme Court. Well, this let's, is all let's talk the about media courts. should be focusing on. Let, let's talk about courts. Federal court, Republicans are suing to outlaw things like drop boxes or alternative voting locations for ballots. Is the party strategy here to, as Democrats allege, basically try to limit the number of voters in order for Republicans to win? Well, let's go back.
back to the courts. The Democrats well, this is are a federal case. It, the Democrats are suing in every state to get rid of signature verification, to extend the length of the election, to get rid of all the witness requirements, to ensure election integrity. We are saying you can't just change laws before the election. We, you need to have those safeguards in place. We but you're trying surety. to outlaw and drop boxes in Pennsylvania. No, we are not. We are saying you should know where the drop boxes are. There should be monitoring. We should have a standard. You shouldn't just be able to put them anywhere without notification. Those are the types of reasonable okay. things that we are asking for. Also, we have won on, on Democrats trying to expand ballot harvesting, getting rid of signature verification. Yes. Everything they are doing, every single law. So yesterday in, is Democrats trying to upend elections. So what are you but, suggesting happened to all of those ballots that have already been cast? What we're saying, you should know where the drop boxes are, Margaret. That's pretty reasonable. There should be some uh, notification. We also won in Pennsylvania as Democrats tried to expand ballot harvesting. We just won in Wisconsin. We just won in South Carolina. We just won in Iowa. The question about cases drop boxes. across the country. Yeah, and we should be able to know where those drop boxes are, and they should be monitored. And I think that's a very reasonable expectation that states shouldn't be able to just put drop boxes in without any notification. But again, let's go back to the crux of the issue. You have a Democrat running for president who mm -hmm. wants to upend our ent entire fundamental system of government right. and get rid of checks and balances. Chairwoman, get rid of I the appreciate you making. Good luck to you with that. All right, we're going to move right along to the unbelievable propaganda piece on China that Sunday morning did uh, this morning. The origin of the coronavirus has been able to get its outbreak under control. Something nearly unthinkable has happened in China, a return to normal. From morning Tai Chi at Beijing's Temple of the Sun, to the nice? lunch crush in the central business district oh. and the rush home at sunset across the avenue of a wonderful peace. China is. Chairman Mao Zedong keeps watch over Tiananmen Square. Building Alert, new hospitals folks. in less than two weeks, welding some families inside their homes, testing and contact tracing, descending on new outbreaks with speed. Adopting a QR health code system on smartphones, banning nearly all foreigners from entering the country, and putting everyone who was allowed to return into a 14-day quarantine at a government-designated hotel. All thanks to a mix of authoritarian rule. As COVID peaked in February, Shanghai and the city's historic Bund stood eerily quiet but not anymore. This is Shanghai now. The masses have returned and most of the masks have not. The sheer normalcy of all this really is very strange. Almost as Normalization. if never happened at all. Almost as if never happened at all. In a country of 1.4 billion people, fewer than 5,000 were officially reported to have died compared to more than 210,000 and counting in the United States. Critics of China say its death toll is too low to be true. A fair claim for a country where bad news is often covered up. Last week, President Trump eagerly reminded Americans where COVID began. It was China's fault, and China's going to pay a big price what they've done to this country. <laughs> 
Rourke Jones from Georgia is a sophomore at New York University's campus in Shanghai. And With the a mandatory mask, operating. flash of a health code, and temperature check, he attends his classes. While most international students fled, Jones decided to stay. In February, I was basically in my dorm the entire time. And then by April, things were pretty open. Now people sometimes just don't even wear masks outside. Pandemic's basically non-existent here. Pandemic's basically non-existent here. Some students physically in the room, some virtually. No one raises a fuss. No one raises a fuss. Not Everyone in China. in China is very willing to abide by any policy set forth for containment of the disease. One thing that was kind of inspiring to me is that everyone did the quarantine. And the result? Business is back and bustling, like at China's first Shake Shack. Joyce Du is a proud general manager. When did this Shake Shack close for coronavirus? Close? Yes. We're not close. Close? Yes. We're not close. You never close. Never. We walk in every day and all times. What do you think is the most important prevention measure that you want to share with American restaurants? Wear the mask. Wear the mask. NYU's Rourke Jones might agree. If I went back to the United States right now, to be frank, I'd be a little nervous. And he would have a tough time coming back. China is keeping its borders shut to most foreigners to keep coronavirus. What a propagandist. In a country steeped in more than 3,000 years of history, China's leaders intend for it to be around for at least 3,000 more. All right, that's it for us, guys. We'll see you next Sunday.